Connor, I own one piece of West Virginia merchandise from homefieldapparel.com. It's the PRT shirt. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I believe it says the wave of the future or the future is now or something. I'm mangling The it. ride of the future. The ride of the future. Um, have My question for you is, have you ever been to Morgantown and seen or ridden the PRT? I have not been to Morgantown yet, unfortunately. I've heard it's awesome. Tom, who runs our licensing and wholesale, he went to Morgantown actually when we dropped this shirt. And for those who don't know about the PRT, if you didn't go to West Virginia, of course. Or if you haven't seen my shirt. Or if you haven't seen, yes, the Ride of the Future (laughs) shirt. In 1975, West Virginia opened this it's the personal rapid transit system it's like a little it's like a baby monorail yeah yeah electric motors gets up to 30 miles an hour though and people Mm. are back and forth all day on on campus but when it opened in 1975 uh we found this some uh newspapers calling it the ride of the future Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so that's what we put on the shirt was the ride of the future and we dropped the shirt in collaboration with west virginia's bookstore at a pop-up in Morgantown. Yeah. That's why Tom was there. And we sold out of hundreds of the shirt within like two hours. It was crazy. People love the PRT. It's it's delightful. I haven't ridden it, but I have been to Morgantown and I did see it. I think it was during uh, the summer when maybe it wasn't in operation as frequently. But it's so strange to go to Morgantown and just be like, oh, here's like a little Disney monorail. Much smaller, like they. I think the cabs hold like 15, 20 people, something like that. Okay, just adorable though, just absolutely adorable, and and a delightful little piece of campus culture in Morgantown. Yeah, most of the time, our best selling shirt for a collection has a mascot or a game or yeah, something. Yeah, and tons of those for West Virginia, we have too, but. I love that one of our best selling shirts of all time for this this school is about the monorail on campus. That's, that's right. it's perfect to me. That's right. It's fun to rep proudly because it's so specific and strange that I don't think anybody's ever looked at it and said, like, oh, he must be a huge West Virginia fan. They're just like, oh, there's a <laughs> weird dude who loves tiny monorails. He's got a very niche obsession with monorails. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's uh West Virginia, it's for me, it's the school I've been using lately. I have a lot of friends here in Indy who didn't go to a Big Ten school or whatever. They maybe went to like small private school yep. like Butler or they went to Ball State. And so they have football, of course. Uh, we all know Brady Hoke, but they aren't college football fans. They're Colts fans, NFL fans first, mm-hmm. which to me, I maybe said in an all company meeting the other day, you should be put on a watch list if that's the case. <laughs> But I've been trying to get them on college football because I'm like, guys, come on. It's not like you're big scheme nerds. Like college football is just a it's not better sport. It's just a better product. Yeah. The school I keep using to make my point, though, is West Virginia because I keep pulling up the TikTok that I believe the smoking musket took during Sweet Caroline uh, this year in the in the backyard brawl. And I've never 
heard a louder expletive shouted in unison than <laughs> I had during the Sweet Caroline this year. I, I I was watching on my phone the next day after the backyard brawl, and I like jumped out of my seat. It was so loud. And that's why you love college sports, stuff like that. Pure hatred for your rival. Yes. That you, you wouldn't get that at Lucas Oil Stadium. I I mean... It depends on how many Jags fans show up. I think you could get that if you get enough of Duval in the building. But I understand your point all the same. I was there. The last game I went to was Jags Colts at Lucas Oil, and there were men, there were multiple of those giant hats um, right. worn by Jags fans. Right. Yes, so right. you're getting right. yeah. We're not point. we're not even going to slightly mess with Duval here. Um, no. So as you can probably guess by now, this is the West Virginia episode. And this was a slightly bittersweet one for me because one of our guests brings this up. West Virginia, for a long time, kind of in the like early Twitter, especially pre-Twitter um, days of being a college football fan, was like the cool kids college football team. It mm-hmm. was so much fun to watch. It was they were doing some things that were so different and innovative and wildly entertaining. They had all these awesome dudes that you had never heard of before, and they could just carve people up. They could punch way above their weight class. Um, They were just a very exciting, very special part of college football. And like, I think everybody we talk to mostly agrees that uh, some of that magic has dissipated mm-hmm. in recent years. I don't know what to do about that. Like, I think the answer is Pat White time machine, probably. Yeah, I was going to say, Rich Rod's still coaching. Oh, don't even. Don't even start. Like, you're going to... Is it is it Michigan's fault? It's Michigan's fault for ruining this, right? I think you just wanted to make it Michigan's <laughs> fault. But yeah, sure, let's see. I'm just looking at the facts. It's also important to remember, and this has nothing to do with the episode, that uh, Rich Rod turned down the Alabama job to take the Michigan job, if I remember correctly. Wow, that's right. So we could have lived in an entirely different history altogether. Oh my gosh. And Nick's- They would have killed him. Uh, yeah, but then Nick Saban would have won, I don't know, what, eight national championships at in Ann Arbor? At LSU. Yeah. <laughs> oh, in Ann Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't happen either. Anyway, I, again, these have nothing to do with uh, West Virginia. But, uh, Connor, what we're going to do in the next, like, let's say next five years, let's try to keep it reasonable. We're going to get you to, sure. we're going to get you to a game in Morgantown. I would love to go. It looks like a great time. Somebody's going to hand you an unlabeled jar of a clear with a clear liquid that smells very strong, and you're going to drink whatever's in it, and we're just going to see. Just what like happens. my mother taught me. That's right. Except strange liquids from strangers in Morgantown. Yes. That sounds like a great time. So, uh, to hear from some of those strangers who might be offering you or other people unlabeled liquids that you should just consume without questioning, here are our West Virginia guests. Hi, my name is Chris Sedanka. I am a West Virginia grad. I graduated in 2006. I am not a West Virginia native. I actually grew up in the state of Maine where I live now and am a classic rock DJ on Maine's classic rock station 102.9 WBLM. I am Beth. Um, you might know me as at the soulful wit on whatever stupid thing Twitter has decided to call itself this week or more pleasantly on Blue Sky where I will actually engage with human beings. <laughs> 
by the same name. Um, if you know me at all, it's probably because I am a permanent squatter on the Sickos Committee podcast, and um, I'm an original committee member, a fact that is entirely the fault of Ryan and Ryan's other podcast. So thank you for ruining that portion of my life and destroying what little anonymity I had left. I appreciate that. Um, I was born into the idiocy that is West Virginia fandom. I didn't go to West Virginia. My dad didn't go to West Virginia. It didn't matter. But I decided to come on this podcast rather than waiting for your 985th episode when you finally decided to do Teal College. (laughs) (laughs) My family helped to found West Virginia. Okay. So for like a generation or so, there was a family patriarch that insisted that everybody should just go to West Virginia. By the time my dad came around, that was pretty well dead, but not dead enough. My dad has a degree from Dickinson. My dad, but he did his JD at GW Law, Mm -hmm. but still in his judicial portrait, we had to X out Black's Law Dictionary and put a book with a flying WV on it. It's hidden in the portrait. (laughs) We're giving it to the courthouse next week. (laughs) That's how bad this thing is in my family. It's it. It doesn't matter. Like I grew up 40 minutes from Penn State. My great uncle was an All-American at Pitt and I never had a chance. My name's Matt Kirchner. Um, I am a two-time West Virginia grad, a West Virginia native, and I mostly tweet for the Smoking Musket account. If you are familiar, I am the one that sends the insane things that you see during West Virginia games. And that is mostly the result of mental health that has resulted from being i think like one of five people who like west virginia sports and the cleveland browns so that's put me in a dark place that i've had to just cope via humor with so i I, I, we're gonna come back to the browns thing in a roundabout way but not (laughs) not right away i'm not gonna unpack that yet i'm gonna start by asking a question that I, i i should preface may expose you to some legal jeopardy. And if that means you can't answer it, I understand. <laughs> have you ever set a couch on fire or witnessed an act of furniture arson? I have not set a couch on fire. Okay. But I have um, I've witnessed furniture arson um, twice during um, actual for actual sporting event reasons. And a third one that is actually a much better story that will actually it'll give a better uh feel for morgantown than the sports related ones all right well i obviously i want to hear about that one then it was when bin laden died okay 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 (laughs) i was i believe either i think a junior or senior in undergrad i can't remember and nobody who was an undergrad in west virginia can ever remember the timeline of events perfectly so i want to say it was junior or senior year and we are just hanging around playing video games as you do when you are 21 and then all of a sudden we just hear fireworks going off on our street and we you ask around and we find out that you know the rock has announced that bin laden has been killed <laughs> and we go outside and we this apartment at the time was basically at the end of one of i guess like the bigger party streets of morgantown and then we just sort of follow the explosions and then we get to where they have sort of cordoned off an intersection for a couch fire so that's the non-sporting um, 
story. <laughs> but but I feel like it's she's a couch fire. I feel like it comes from the same emotional place that the other the sports couch fires come from in their own way. Yes, it it does. Okay. Um <laughs> like at this point the first time you witnessed this did it feel weird or was it just like yeah, this feels right? I I honestly think it was the second. I was just like, okay, I feel like if you go to WVU and you don't see one, it is kind of a disappointing experience because you, <laughs> it means nothing memorable happened during the entire time that you were there. And in my senior year of undergrad, the words came into the Morgantown um, vernacular of furniture abatement, which is where they would just patrol the streets of where the student housing was. And if there was furniture on your porch, it would be confiscated. And this was before LSU played in Morgantown. <laughs> okay, so so they were future criming. It was, was what they were yes, trying to... It, okay. Yes, it was, future, it was thought crimes. Gotcha. Yes. Uh, I will say, I think the statute of limitations are probably up, but you never know. Right. I may or may not have thrown a few camp chairs into a bonfire on Beverly Avenue in, let's say, 2002 when WVU took down Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech on the goal line, uh, winning that game. So, yeah, I saw it from time to time, no question about it, but... Um, I think the crazier days were before I was really there. Okay. From what it sounds like, a lot of my friends who are either from Morgantown or or were at school earlier, it sounds like really the 80s and 90s were like the lawless land of Morgantown. So I missed that by a little bit. But you still got to partake in some way. Yes. Yes, absolutely. What is it about setting furniture on fire that is so like that speaks so personally to west because this is not a thing it's like oh all college football fans do this this is highly specific it is it's it's very strange uh i remember when you know when i first went down there you know i i came from the north like there's no college football up here and i loved college football growing up so my goal was to get down somewhere uh south of the mason dixon line to go to college and uh it was it was eye-opening really from day one of tailgating and everything like that it was it was awesome so i think there is just this kind of tradition that i i don't know how it started i'm sure it was just like a, a house party where it got out of control especially after a big win maybe after the pen you know like a penn state win or mm -hmm. even before that probably um and it just kind of was tradition and then like we had to do it because america told us we had to do it so <laughs> it just kept continuing on and on and it was just waiting for that next big win to happen or just a friday night um i have never personally set a couch on fire i have witnessed several acts of uh criminal arson um several that have also involved motor vehicles okay um uh, yes, and a few that have actually that the arson has then proceeded to cross county lines. Sure, sure, sure. I think it's a combination of the quick availability of ready furniture in that area of West Virginia. Um, that part of Monongalia County and specifically in northern West Virginia, my family is from a nearby area. There's a lot of like couch on the porch kind mm -hmm, of folks. Mm -hmm. So it's just there. And if you're going to have a bonfire and you need ready fuel, well, if you just take the plastic covering off the sofa that keeps the mold from growing, that thing will burn like a torch if you get it started. <laughs> and it rolls down the hill so beautifully. So, 
you know, one thing leads to another. Some people take their goalposts and throw them in a river. Other people light a lazy boy on fire and see if they can knock it into somebody's Pontiac. Okay. Uh, you also mentioned you have pit connections. And I do. The Pitt-West Virginia rivalry is I, – I think everybody who's part of a college football rivalry thinks that theirs is the most heated or the most special, that it's built different in some way. What is the case for that actually being true of the backyard brawl compared to everything else that's out there? What's what's fun about the backyard brawl, and I, u- I use fun in the most painful way possible, um, is just – and I understand the backyard brawl is super old and I, I've only seen the bit of it in my brief span of time on this earth. Um, it's been the ability of that game to just absolutely ruin somebody's year. It's been West Virginia's year, mostly in my mm-hmm. lifetime, but I know historically it's been Pitt's year a few other times. And the best part about that game has been just terrible teams walking in and just for no apparent reason, rolling a natural 20 and destroying someone, <laughs> which is exactly what happened in the in, like in the game that we won't mention, which, by the way, is the only West Virginia home game that I missed between 1990 and 2010. <laughs> Do you feel per- personally responsible for it in any way? Ryan, I was on my honeymoon. <laughs> it's It's worse than that. It's worse than that. I was stuck at the gate in the Philadelphia airport watching a baggage cart that had fallen over so the gate couldn't extend mm-hmm. and they couldn't get off the plane mm-hmm. while I was trying to get a score update. That sounds like hell. I'm not going to And lie. then I watched the last two minutes of that game in shock at in front of Chicky and Pete's <laughs> at, in the terminal. This will kill anybody from West Virginia to admit this, but nobody in our fan base has recovered from the psychic damage of 139 okay. in more than 15 years. And it just all comes out as this outlet is <laughs> now is 139 like is that a tipping point in things like in in the pre 139 world it actually i do i view it as yeah. a tipping point okay. for me personally okay. because i was in high school when that happened and it came at a point where for a good four or five years, West Virginia was just playing a different sport than Pitt. Mm-hmm. And they had become a very, very much a non-factor in my thoughts. When I was in high school, I was much more concerned about what Louisville was doing yep. in rep- like <laughs> in reference to how West Virginia would need to do in a season. And then all of a sudden they just came and hit me in the face with like a giant cartoon mallet and like, no, (laughs) you hate me more now. And then we've just never, we've admittedly never recovered from that. And I don't, I don't want to force you to speak for the pit side, but like, is this, is, has the change been as meaningful on that side of the rivalry? Like it, has it breathed where it's caused decay? Has it breathed new life into the pit side? It has, I believe because they have this one thing they know that can always send anyone they're talking to into just like mouth foaming. (laughs) And recently there's been an injection of life into it from their side because Penn state continues to big boy them Mm -hmm. no matter what they do to get relevant. And especially after last year when it restarted and just the fun and vitriol 
of the game being back in the stadium, I think there's definitely a whole lot new of new life in it. And the pit side remembering, oh, it is cool to hate and be hated in return <laughs> and not try to be little brothered by Penn State. I think what's unique about Pitt and WVU is that it's city versus country. It's uh, kids who grew up together playing high school football, picking one school over the other. It's you know, it's, it's super regional. It's set, you know, they're 70 miles away. Uh, a lot of kids who not even not even players, but you know, kids from Pitt or, or kids from Morgantown or wherever, northern West Virginia who end up going to Pitt. There's just so much crossover between those two schools, and they're so different. You have West Virginia that's this campus, you know, the the, the town is the is the college. Mm-hmm. Like that is the town. It's a it's a true college town where Pittsburgh is a city school where it's a half-filled stadium at Heinz Field, you know, at a, at a pro stadium and uh it just it, it they are so yin and yang, but there's such a bloodthirst about wanting to take one another on and it's a, it's a great history like how, listen how strange this is. I went to school at Gorham High School in Gorham, Maine, which is about 25 minutes outside of Portland in southern Maine. A kid I went to high school with, a friend of mine, both he and I are non-traditional students. We both went our, you know, we, neither of us went to college right out of right out of high school. I was in a band. He was doing other stuff. I ended up at West Virginia. He ended up at Pitt. <laughs> and growing up, I was a Miami fan and he was a Florida fan. So like, it's just, those are the kind of things like you find, like are just weird about this, about this rivalry that even I growing up in, in the northernmost state in Northeast uh, end up having a connection to West Virginia Pitt, you know, at the end of the day. And so it just you know, like my, so mine, my rivalry started at really young. I think all these kids are, you know, especially kids born in, in from West Virginia parents or Pitt parents, they're, they're born to hate, that school to hate the other school and and so there's this i mean and i think that's easy for most rivalries to say too i mean listen i mean out auburn alabama florida state florida you know whatever it might be you know florida georgia wherever it might be there you know a rivalry should be close it should be very very similar but as close as these two schools are they're so different Mm -hmm. what is the west virginia peak of the backyard brawl at least in recent memory um for me that peak is probably the Zach Abraham touchdown pass. I saw that in purpose, and I was like right in front of Zach Abraham whenever he caught it, and I was a little kid, and that's one of the coolest things that I've ever seen. Um, but um, there is a great game where uh, where Pat White just made Pitt look dumb mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in Heinz Field that I can think back on. And there are a couple of other fun moments in the Walt Harris era. West Virginia had a nice five-game winning streak in the late 90s that I love. But for me, it's going back to Zach Abraham. And that that great touchdown. You know, it was probably um, in, at least during my time. Uh, I think uh, the biggest one was probably beating that Larry Fitzgerald team. Mm-hmm. That was a really good team, um, and they came into Morgantown, you know, really having a good season. And it was a good year for us. But I think you know what we were able to do. I mean, we blew, blew them out, and so I think that was probably. That was probably the most satisfying was that win, but at the same time, it's nothing compared to you know what you're talking about from a thirteen to nine perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, that is there's just not I mean Pitt hasn't been in that situation. So at least you know during during you know the 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 modern era, right. if you will, of, of me right. being we're not right, we're not going it. back to the seventies yeah. or anything. Yeah, right, right, and you know I would even say like this year. I mean, neither team is neither team is is up to snuff, but just 
you know, being able to have the rivalry back, uh, lost a brutal one last year, never should have lost that game last year. And so to to have them back and and battled coach, right? We're not supposed to be any good. Pick to finish last in the Big Twelve. It was it was nice to just seal that victory and, and feel better about the program and and see where it goes. And you know, I think uh it also this was the first even last year with it being on the road, it just didn't feel like the rivalry yet. But you know, now that both teams have played a couple times now, it, it just it felt like it was renewed. It felt like it was back, and that was a great thing. But it probably the Larry Fitzgerald year, just because he was having such that you know that monster year. Yeah. Everyone was picking them to win that game, so that was an awesome night. It is twofold. Um, two years after thirteen nine, um, we basically did something similar to them. It was not national championship quality, but we did start them in the path to imploding at the end of the season where they were in the top 10. The year after that, it was followed by Tavon Austin, just like destroying them in Pittsburgh. And then we did win the last backyard brawl for 11, 12 years and got to hold that over their heads for more than a decade. It was definitely very meaningful (laughs) to hold it over their heads for a decade. Um, embarrassing Tino Sinceri in the year after just this like rampant summer of, well, is Geno Smith the best quarterback in the Big East or is Tino Sinceri the best quarterback in the Big East? That was very cathartic. (laughs) I think for years, the backyard brawl was uh, something that national writers or sort of fans of college football at large like to point to to say like, oh, this is the thing that needs to come back. This is what makes the sport special. We're sad this is gone. But I don't really have a good sense about like how the actual parties felt when this rivalry went on extended hiatus. What were the feelings once once everybody went their separate ways and once it looked like the backyard brawl might be going away, maybe forever, at least for a very long time? It was particularly dislocating. Like that's been like the constant. West Virginia's jumped conferences a bunch of times. They were an independent for a long time. Um, and that was the one constant. They always played Pitt. And suddenly we didn't play Pitt and we didn't play anybody that was close to us at all. Like our closest conference opponent was in Ames, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was just bizarre. And so you're it, it was hard to care about our games for a long time. They're just you're playing a bunch of teams that have no that have no relevance to you whatsoever. It would be as if somebody was like, "Hey, Florida's going to start playing Bayern Munich. <laughs> we need you to care about it." And you're like, "Well, well yeah, I, I guess I could, maybe." Sure. <laughs> and, and like, but that was the one that hurt the most. I Penn, the Penn State rivalry, it, such as it is, and that's not a rivalry, um, was dying by the time that I was a kid, but. It was awful losing the pit rivalry, even though, like, you know, we lost it. That was dying right at a time when we had been particularly snake bit. From day one, we wanted it back. I mean, I think we've always been looking for that that revenge from obviously 13 to nine. And and that's the ultimate bragging rights of this entire of this entire run. And so we needed that game back. We it, it should be back. It's embarrassing that that game went away. I mean, the whole conference realignment when w is trying to figure out where they were going to go when the big east was falling apart that was that was a tough few i mean it was a tough few months trying to see like all right is 
you know, is the Big 12 going to, to going to happen? Should we be in the ACC? I mean, there are people that was when message board era was like super hot. Yep. You had like the, well, my buddy tells me that since Nick Saban's from West Virginia, he's going to get us in the SEC. It's like, come on, man. Like, what are you talking about? So uh, it, it's it's a shame that they ended up in the ACC and we ended up in the Big 12. It really is. I mean, that is a, that's a rivalry that that's a that's a matchup that should be every single year and even should be even though we're not in the same conference. And I'm glad that. You know, you look at the future, it sounds like they're going to be even trying to get more games. But I would be hard-pressed to find a West Virginia fan that didn't want that game. Like, that is – that is it, it, it's us. It's great that it's back in basketball. And, you know, both soccer – like, all the soccer programs are great, right. too, both men's and women's soccer. It, it, so it's it really is fun to see both of these programs, uh, not just in football, but just, you know, in in everything. I remember we used to do, like, blood drives where it would be West Virginia versus Pitt. Like, the, it's just – it's in our – it's in the school's blood. Like, it should be right there. I think at first there was a period of, well, screw you guys. We are never talking again. Pitt, you went to the ACC after you told us to not sign a Big East TV deal. And then we ditched out and got out of the Big East earlier than you did and made you stay in there for an extra year. And there was definitely a lot of just like immediate screw you. But then I think very quickly, actually, they got together and were like, wait, this is stupid. Let's get this going again as soon as stupid college football scheduling allows. And they actually, then basketball, they got it back on the schedule. I think within like four, three to four years, mm-hmm. it was not something like Texas and Texas AM pretending that they don't want to kiss each other anymore. <laughs> there was very much, wait, this is stupid. Right. Let's start doing this again. Oh, okay. I think. Everyone would rather it be at the end of the year rather than this like large at the beginning of the season spectacle that you spend all summer like hate dreading because it could just sort of screw your season up immediately mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. lose it. But getting it back on, I think, became a priority on both sides, which is good. You want to see that. One of the things about the Pitt-West Virginia rivalry that I think is really, let's say, fascinating, so that there's no value judgment. This is a rivalry mostly full of Steelers fans. <laughs> and, yes, <it> <laughs> and, and, like, obviously there are other parts of college football, you know, almost every SEC fan is a Braves fan, but that's for lack of uh, other regional options for a lot of it. And, like, is there anything weird, and, and you may have a very particular opinion about this, that there are so many West Virginia people who hate Pitt but love the Pittsburgh Steelers? There are people in the fan base that will say, well, how can you hate Pitt on Saturday and then go to literally the same stadium (laughs) on Sunday and be like, yes, this is great. But I've I've never really cared about it. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's just different. Like, it's an incomplete completely different like level of fandom like it has never been something that bothered me and i i live in the i from the part of west virginia that is closest to pittsburgh and just never got caught up in the steelers thing and it just is it's the closest pro team you know people in the eastern panhandle probably like you know the ravens or the football team and it because of how west virginia exists you just you pick a pro team and you like West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And 
I, I think what you're describing also makes me realize that where a lot of rivalries, uh, they they sort of morph into, we not only hate this school, but we hate this area. Like we think, Michigan thinks Columbus is a trash town and Columbus thinks, uh, Ohio State thinks Ann Arbor is overrated. And, but like for West Virginia, it really is just pit the team and pit the program. Like it's not necessarily Pittsburgh, it's the city. Specifically Oakland. Okay, okay. Gotcha. It's just... <laughs> it's just really dislike Oakland. Okay, good to know. Good to know. To the point, <laughs> the official tagline that they used for the backyard brawl this year was actually "Our state versus your neighborhood." So it is the specifically targeted hate about Oakland and how nobody in Pittsburgh. There's also a coping mechanism of the West Virginia fan base that nobody in Pittsburgh actually likes Pitt, except for the people that went to Pitt. Both West Virginia gear and Steelers gear is appropriate formal wear for both weddings and funerals. Sure. Um, in Throughout the culture. And it's important to understand, like, if you're in the run-up to Saturday, you probably want to wear your West Virginia attire to whatever that function is. If mm-hmm. you're in Sunday or the immediate aftermath, you probably should lean more towards Steelers attire <laughs> okay. if you're attending a, a funeral or, you know, like, it's... It's just it's important to know these things. But no, it's totally, completely acceptable. And I've like I've heard from people who have like hotels and restaurants in Pittsburgh who are so excited if you get like a brawl weekend with a Steelers game on Sunday because they're like, <laughs> we're about to make so much money. <laughs> I had a roommate from from outside of Pittsburgh and we would have all all of his pit buddies down. They'd stay with us over the weekend. We would party all weekend long with those guys, but we hated one another when it was the game, right? Like we're all pre-gaming together. But meanwhile, if I saw him in the game, I'd be like, <laughs> so yeah. So I mean, I, as, as older I get too, like that kind of hatred towards other people, it certainly dissipates as well. So, you know, I think that's uh that is something different. I mean, I married a Syracuse fan, mm-hmm. so it's, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> we have the rivalry in the house, or at least we used to when <laughs> it was in the same, co- when it was in the same conference. So, uh, you know, I think it's it is certainly one of those things that gets does it get overplayed? Yes, but at the same time, like thirteen to nine is the worst night of our lives. <laughs> like that is my buddy who went to Pitt still constantly texts me that all the time, and it still hurts every time I see it. So like, yeah, it it's uh it runs deep, but at the end of the day, I mean, there has to be a respect level, and and the fact that most of these guys, you know, most of these kids who go to school there or the players, they're all from the same area. Coaches have been out at both programs. And like, it's weird to me to see Dave Wanstad talk up West Virginia on television because I'm like, yo, you coach Pitt, man, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) You know, now we see lots of schools that are entering into geographically challenging conference circumstances. And West Virginia was one of the first schools to do this Mm -hmm. by joining a power conference. They've been in the Big 12 for a little over a decade. How does everybody on the West Virginia side feel about being a Big 12 member at this point? Well, listen, we are kicking ass in women's soccer. We've owned that conference, so that's been feeling very good there. But outside of that, uh, it's it's you know it's interesting. It, it's there's there's no like I don't even know what the biggest rivalry is. I mean, it's fun. The Iowa State Riot Bowl thing has been always kind of fun, where that school is very similar to WVU, and I think that's that's a fun one. And uh, you've know, always had good games against Texas Tech and TCU, and even Baylor. I think has started to uh, become a, a bigger thing than it has been. But it's again, we're talking about schools nowhere near it from a 
from a geological, a geographical, excuse me, perspective. So having Cincinnati now is nice. I, I like that we'll be playing them more. That that should be a that should be a good rivalry. And and obviously uh, UCF coming in, it was great playing Holgerson the other night from that perspective too. But I think it's taken a while to really find a find a fitting from football and I would say less in basketball just because basketball you're traveling so much anyways and you have so many tournaments and and a lot of programs in the Big 12 we were playing anyways at times so that that was much less it's you know going to Texas and going to Oklahoma it it was of course the two schools leaving but those were great trips for us Um, but at the same time it didn't take very long to realize that we were nowhere near ready to be in that conference uh, from a depth perspective, from an athletic perspective. And so I think it took some time. And you know, I remember that first game where Geno Smith went in and we beat Texas at Texas. And we're thinking like, oh, we're good. We're, you know, we're- we're, we're sick. <laughs> and then the next week we lose to Texas Tech, get smoked, and then it just kind of fell apart from there. So you realize that, all right, well, this is a completely different ball game. But I think what TCU showed last year is that like you you can put together a special year. And and even even this West Virginia team, yeah, lost to Penn State, lost last week in the most ridiculous fashion ever. But you know, they're in every single game. They're they're playing better. And and this is a conference where, especially this year, uh, and it's especially if you take kind of the Oklahoma mix out of it and Texas a little bit, I guess, too. But like this is going to be a conference moving forward where I think it's just going to be a battle of, you know, just a battle of uh, of parody. And, and I think that'll be fun. Um, and we all have to sort live in this new conference realignment world. So we just got to all make the best of it. You know, to me, in a perfect world, we're playing Penn State, Pitt, Maryland, Virginia Tech, you know, Virginia every single year. But that's just not where we are. I mean, it's nice to kind of matter. But speaking just for for me and mine, like we hate it. <laughs> why? Okay. It. Why do you hate it? Um, one, we can't win road games mm-hmm. for any reason, for the most obvious of reasons. I, I, what Miami used to do in the Big East now looks insane <laughs> because it it just it doesn't make any sense. We yeah. we can't go anywhere and we can't win, and it's hard for us to travel to games. I used to go to all eleven games. Right. It just it doesn't work and it makes it really hard to follow the team and, and very, very weird. And you never really get to meet the opposing fans because not many of them come. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to really develop that idea of of rivalry. Like it, we can be annoyed at various teams. There was that sense that like, oh, maybe it'll be Texas Tech that, mm-hmm. you know, we'll develop that rivalry with or there were the five seconds of like maybe it's Iowa State and. The results on the field aren't enough to really spark that. You also need to have enough contact between the fan bases that you can develop some sense of that that identity that can give you that enough in common to build the right variety of visceral hate. Is there any possibility that Cincinnati is going to provide that in the expanded Big 12? I mean, Wikipedia keeps insisting that we have a rivalry. (laughs) So maybe... I I mean, I'm mad at Cincinnati, but that's just because every time they gave West Virginia a ticket allotment, they sat us so close to the bench that you actually couldn't see the game at all. <laughs> you had to watch it on the screen. <laughs> Thanks, Nippert. <laughs> but, but I mean, maybe it, it's, it's actually a road game we can go to, which is lovely. Right. I, even UCF isn't that bad since most West Virginians like to spend as much time in Florida as they humanly can. Right, right, right. And, you know, as the Big 12 continues to expand both in numbers and geography, does it sort of change the equation where West Virginia is going from 
the one outlier to a bunch of schools that are pretty close to each other. Right. To now just like one of many outposts. Does does that change, I don't know, the sense of belonging or the sense of like this making sense? Does it make more sense for West Virginia if it makes less sense for everyone else? Maybe. Like, you know, if, if we're just sort of expanding our conception of what this galaxy looks like and we're just yet another weird galactic outpost that's out here mining whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. Um, and it, it, if we're going to be in a weird pod over here in the East, I suppose, um, it also might help that now we're not the new guy. Right. Somebody else is now the new guy. A lot of somebody else's are the new guy at this point. Yeah. We have what? 68, 69 teams. I can't count. (laughs) Yes. It's a, it's an NCAA tournament worth. It's a running joke on our podcast that I can never keep track of how many teams are in any conference anymore. There was immediate, just like excitement one, because we secured a lifeboat that we did not know was going to happen. And at that point in time, they had to do it by whatever means came across they could not say oh no we will wait for the next lifeboat because there was not a next lifeboat guaranteed to come and there was initially a lot of excitement of like oh cool we are going to go from playing syracuse and usf to playing texas and oklahoma Mm -hmm. and that is really cool and to an extent it it is i enjoy the fan base interaction of the big 12. I think it is a very chronically online league (laughs) and everybody like kind of does have fun with it together. But at the same time, I almost now, you know, more than 10 years later, I almost enjoy it too much. There is still no like deep seated dislike of any team we play. I think all the schools in the Big 12 as a comparison to the Big East, which was a very metro private school league at its core and always yep. was because of the basketball start of it. West Virginia, even though it geographically fit to an extent, there was institutional fit that wasn't great with some of the schools in the league. And now they're in the Big 12 and it's all land grant schools and everybody gets along and makes fun of Baylor. Um, And that's cool. But there's just still a lack of connection, I think, for me, at least. I can't speak to the whole fan base, but I think a lot of people do think this way. It's hard because you don't see any of these people who root for these teams in your actual everyday life. Right. And I think what makes college sports this great regional thing is you have to deal with these people. Like in the SEC, if you work in like Atlanta, you have to deal with all of these people every Monday after you win or lose a game. Right, right. And in the Big 12, West Virginia doesn't get that. It's just all online and it's fun. It's fun game day interaction, but there's just no team in there. And the way I've put it, you know, when you compare it to Pitt or Virginia tech or even Maryland or Louisville, there's not a team on West Virginia's schedule that I hate the idea of losing to more than I would enjoy winning against. Mm, <laughs> that is, that, that sums is a up really a lot good litmus of, test. Yes. Yeah. Like when I think about losing to Pitt or Virginia Tech, I get 
I hate losing more than I enjoy winning. And I think that means something because I had to go. I live in Pittsburgh and I'm not in the office a lot, but I'm in the office one day a week. And I know after the backyard brawl, I have to deal with this when (laughs) a ball bounces out of Bryce Ford's Wheaton's hands directly (laughs) into a pick six and they lose this game. And then I get to go in on Monday this year and, tape over the Pitt Panthers conference room sign (laughs) in our office. At the same time, it's made it a struggle, you know, especially recently with West Virginia's, you know, flaming out of their seasons by the end of October. When you're playing these teams that you have this deep-seated history with, at the end of the day, you always have a chance to make someone else's life miserable that you dislike. And West Virginia does not get that. Yeah, like part of part of thirteen nine being such a thorn is is Pitt wasn't good. It was that the year. shittiest. Yeah. It was the shittiest Pitt team that they have put out ever, and they ruined the season. And West Virginia does not, you know, they can beat teams, but they just don't get to beat rivals like that at the end of the season. And then there are some things that have developed. We have manufactured the riot bowl into being a thing. I think with TCU, there's always something because they came in at the same time. And then until Dana burns out of Houston, that will always be something just naturally and i like i've already blanked out what happened <laughs> mentally but you know rivalries can form and i think there are big 12 teams that west virginia fans care about but it's cyclical there's never anybody on the schedule that just sticks out every year and that's tough it's just it fits institutionally but it to me, it's never going to like quite feel like home. This is where we belong. You know, even as they make a couple of Eastern moves, and there is some history with West Virginia and Cincinnati, and I think that'll be fun to play again. But to me, it's never going to be home, home. And if there were, <laughs> I would still go to the ACC if you really put a gun to my head, just because if you're ever... You know, if I'm going to be cast adrift one day, I want to be cast adrift with the games that matter to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, no. who knows? Maybe in five years, they'll end up getting the ACC to come to them a little bit. Now it's very, it's always fluid. You never know. So, the other thing that has lined up with leaving the Big East is a bit of a drought for West Virginia, and and I I say that in terms of like. Maybe I may, the last big memory that the national college football ha- audience has of the Mountaineers, and this is maybe just me projecting, is thumping Clemson in the Orange Bowl, which is literally, if I have this right, the last game they play before they go move into the Big 12. Oh, yeah, that is absolutely, that's absolutely true. And it turned Clemson into, like, it was their dark side turn <laughs> and West Virginia became basically irrelevant. And I'm not afraid to say it. Like they have not had, they've had fun teams occasionally. And I think that you know, the theme of West Virginia, they've had fun teams that step on a rake at very inopportune times. And that's been 
where they've been since then. Yeah. Do West Virginia fans feel like their best days are gone? Or is there a sense of we can get back to what we used to do and what we used to mean on a national level? So this goes into a lot of like deep seated misaligned expectations of West Virginia fans and what West Virginia should be. The best way I think I can describe it, and I brought it up to you before we recorded a couple of days ago, was that West Virginia is a program that is an SEC team, school, fan base, whatever you want to call it, with 60% of the resources, all of the mental health issues and expectation <laughs> misalignment and about one percent of the natural talent in their recruiting pipeline to me the fact that west virginia has ever even become what west virginia is is miraculous it is not something that should happen because they have very little in-state talent they have to go out and compete for dregs elsewhere and find you know kids that are under recruited which is even harder now in a time where it's hard to retain your talent but i think there needs to be some realignment of what west virginia should be as a peak but i do think they can get back to a point where most years they win eight games some years they win five games they're down and then every four to five years everything comes in line you have a quarterback you have a tiny skill player that nobody can tackle and you win <laughs> 10 or 11 games and you do something special you know in the past that was the bcs now it's you know you compete for a, a big 12 championship and you make a 12 team playoff every five you're maybe in line to do that like every five or six years and there's a struggle right now to think that that can happen under Neil Brown, if they can ever get out of this sort of neutral they've been stuck in. They were close under Dana, and they again, they step on a rake because it's what they do. But they definitely, and I think most West Virginia fans would be happy if they got back to the point where they were this fun team that people enjoyed watching and every five or so years they had a group that could be special and be one of those teams that you remember. And I think that's what the West Virginia brand should be. I think when people nationally who aren't involved with West Virginia think about West Virginia, they remember playing as Pat White and Steve Slayton in NCAA. They remember Gino and Tavon and Stephen Bailey and Will Greer and these stupid fun teams that just did stupid fun things and you know were entertaining and that's the brand that west virginia has gotten away from the biggest sin of the last five years is that west virginia has been boring and west virginia as a brand should never be boring it should be the couches on fire school that everybody likes to watch I view West Virginia's greatest failing, and this is I blame Neil Brown for this too. I blame Neil Brown for most things going <laughs> wrong right now. West Virginia 
becoming so boring that they allowed Pitt to be the official team of college football internet <laughs> is one of the greatest <laughs> failings of West Virginia that I can possibly imagine. The folks that I talk to, we see sort of two problems. The move away from playing a lot of Eastern football took us out of every one of our major recruiting beds, mm -hmm. all of them, all at once, and just threw us into a new one. And everybody's like, Texas is big. There's lots of players. Surely they'll go to Morgantown. Well, <laughs> well, um, when in reality, most of our really good players were coming from the Gulf Coast and a lot of them from Florida. Mm -hmm. And we now have no connections in those areas whatsoever. And that's been a huge problem for us. Um, I, I think we can expand um, in the Midwest and, and out West. And I think there are some, some inroads out there, but the way that West Virginia became relevant in the first place was doing a lot of the unconventional things, all of those Thursday night Big East games, yep. being willing to go places and do weird stuff and playing a brand of football that was fun and quirky and different. Um, where if, you know, you wanted to go play, uh, if you were Pat White and LSU told you that you had to go play wide receiver and West Virginia's like, nah, dude, come be quarterback. Right, right. Come be, could. come be, come be football point guard over here. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You could. And I, I think the combination right now of the type of football that we are attempting to do, um, and where we are attempting to recruit, which is, I would say, unclear at present, mm -hmm. that makes it really tricky. We need to have a clearer idea of identity in order for this to work. And I don't see us there now. It doesn't mean we can't be there in the future, but I don't see it now. Is part of that identity having, like Pat, Pat White is one of the best examples, but there are so many of having those like electric, attention-grabbing, really special players that everybody sort of like, how the hell did this guy end up at West Virginia? Like, is that a key part of the identity? Mm -hmm. It is. And that's old. Um, the, the, like, I can take you back to 1989 and major Harris, like, <laughs> right. and that's yeah. Like we can look at Jake Kelchner. We can look at Darren stud still. We can look at all of those guys. They're all that where you're like, how, how did you come here? Mm hmm we can look at Todd Sauerbrunn for goodness sake and be like, how did the best punter that year end up at West Virginia? Shouldn't right. you be at Iowa or something? Right, right. Yeah. Like it's, it's people who find their way to Morgantown some in some weird, weird, weird way. Cause the wrong person told them no. And the right person told them yes. Yeah. And we need to be in a position where people know that we exist and we can say yes. The big East was not very good. Uh, and I think when you look at how much, of a struggle Virginia Tech has had and Miami has had. And I mean, BC has just been a nightmare. Uh, it really shows you kind of where that, that conference was. And, it, but at the same time, in West Virginia is three, and zero in, in BCS bowl games. So we at least, you know, were respectable when we made it to those games and, and, and we proved that we belong, but I think it was just a, a major shock. As I mentioned earlier, you know, going into Texas and winning that first game, I think we really thought much more highly of us. And then at the end of the year, you're sitting yourself saying, all right, what just happened? We just hit a, we just, you know, we hit a, a you know, derailed the train just absolutely derailed so can it get back i i do think it can get back but i think i say that because of the 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 changing landscape of college football mm -hmm. how the playoff system is going to be new now how i mean who's the big dog in the big 12 now 
with with right. Oklahoma and Texas leaving, is it going to be Coach Prime in Colorado in a couple of years, or is he going to be at Texas A and M? Like, like who who knows kind of where this this direction is? So yeah, I I think you can see something like like what TC. I mean, there's no reason TC. West Virginia shouldn't be able to go on a kind of run that TCU did last year. And and I say that about every single team in like Kansas State, same thing, right? Uh, you know, um, you know, Texas Tech, same thing. I, I just think you now look at a conference that has the ability of of having just incredible parity because there's not at least taking NIL and everything else out of it, there's there's not really a, that tradition rich program that's going to be winning 10, 11 games every single year. I mean, I guess I guess Oklahoma State's the closest thing to that. And uh, like who knows what where Gundy's going to be in right, a couple of years? Right, so right. it'll be it'll be interesting. So I do I don't, but I'm not saying that because of you know from a coaching perspective, from a recruiting perspective. I'm just simply saying it because I think with how the landscape is, I, especially in the Big Twelve, like this conference should have like that ability to have different championship holders every single year. Marshall and West Virginia played mm-hmm. for a stretch from 20, uh, 2006 to 2012. West Virginia won every game. They haven't played that much historically. Obviously, Marshall was down a division for a while. This is not a rivalry. This is not like a, a, a thing that really exists in West Virginia's world. Should it be? And if it's if it shouldn't, like why why is there nothing to Marshall West Virginia as a football thing? Oh, million dollar question. Uh and it and it's funny because I think if you ask native West Virginia fans who go to WVU and who go to Marshall, I think they're much more apt to talk about this, whereas folks like me from out of state or you know, the eight billion kids from New Jersey that go to West Virginia. They just like Marshall's not even on our radar. It's just not a thing. Uh, there's no rivalry there, like you said. It's much more like little brother. Um, and I'm not opposed to playing Marshall. Uh, it was a, it was fun. Uh, it was fun beating them every single time. Even though a couple <laughs> of those games were a little bit closer than you wanted it to be, but Marshall's pretty good. Like that's turned into a nice little program. Um, uh, you know, Clint Trickett, who was our starting quarterback a few years ago, is now there. You know, running the offense, and he's done a really nice job. Uh, you know, it's just that's a good, it's a good program. And to me, would I rather play them than say like a MAC team or something, or or even like the? I, I mean, I understand why everyone plays the FCS game, but it's it's brutal. I'd much rather, and I don't mean to offend what Marshall because they're not an FCS, but they're, they're a good program. This is a good Division One program that you know they beat Notre Dame last yep. year. We're not beating yep. Notre Dame last year, so I mean, <laughs> so, so I mean, uh, should it happen? Yeah, I think it's. I I don't know if we should play every single year, but they should be in the rotation, and it's great for the it's great for the state. It's it's great for you know the marketing of it. It's great to show off what you have in the in in the state of West Virginia. So uh, should they play more? More often, yes. Should they play every single year? No, no, I wouldn't say so. Okay. This is a very canned G5 team or in a state with a P5 team answer. Okay. But Marshall wants a home and home. Okay. 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 Yeah, sure. I mean, like that is that's literally the answer. I would be completely okay with playing them. I wouldn't want to do a home and home. Because solely, and this is very selfish, eventually Marshall would win a home game against West Virginia, and I could not mentally handle that. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, so that's the other thing is when this when this was on the schedule for both teams every year, 
the Mountaineers won every time. They Marshall never yes. picked a game off, so I can understand yes. why the, that would be like, a The law of averages said, eventually Marshall will win this game, and I will not be able to handle it. I am very thankful that Neil Brown has never had to play Marshall. <laughs> okay, fair. Who do you remember being the most exciting or the most, like, amazing West Virginia player to watch from a sheer spectacle point of view? Um, probably Owen Schmidt. Mm-hmm. And th- so I went to a th- to like an off-season thing at one point that was basically like Rich Rodriguez did like a show-off workout thing where he had all of his players run a 40 and then all of his players did a deadlift and everything else. And Owen Schmidt came in top three in every single category. <laughs> he wasn't the fastest dude. He wasn't the strongest dude. He couldn't jump the highest. He was just almost the highest in every single category. Yeah. And he was a walk-on. Right. Right. He was just just sheer cussedness. <laughs> he also owned a bar for a long time in Morgantown that finally went under because he's not good at owning a business. Sure. <laughs> he's not alone in, as, as sports no. figures go in that regard. So no, not no at all. Yeah. And like, I'm a musician in my other life. And like, I have friends who gigged down there and the stories they tell me about like, <laughs> oh, and just being like, it looks like you guys had a bad night. Here's just a fistful of cash. <laughs> <laughs> It makes me love him so much and also understand why maybe this didn't work out so well. That's entirely fair. But like, I love Owen Schmidt. I will say in 1988, my brother was a Notre Dame fan from birth on, went to school there. So he held on the whole way. But I remember there was a championship game between Notre Dame and this school called West Virginia. And I started cheering for Major Harris because it wasn't my brother's team. So it's funny how things work out, obviously. But <laughs> but so but I, I would say it's Pat White. Um, Pat was so much fun to watch. And that first year as a freshman was the year we beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. And I remember going down there. The only pundit on TV was that that picked us was Andre Ware. We uh, we basically still cheer Andre Ware because of that. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, and it was really key in Steve Slayton's coming out party. And, and it was also the very best of Rich Rodriguez. Um, it was just he finally got his guy where it's going to fit the system and it's going to be unstoppable. And for four years, it practically was other than one or two games here and there, obviously. But, you know, four and oh in bowl games. Uh, got himself somehow drafted in the second round. Bill Parcells was like, yeah, this is going to work, <laughs> even though he's tiny. But Pat was Pat was electric. He he his some of his runs are, are were unbelievable. And then, you know, beyond that, like you mentioned, like you had Noel Devine come through. You had Tavon Austin was absolutely stunning to watch. And West Virginia really uh, hasn't had that player in, in quite a few years. And it's and it's been a struggle. You know, they you know, Kevin White had a great career, obviously, uh, uh, at, at West Virginia too, but you know, ever since then we've had some some flashes here and there, but nothing compared to what Pat was like, and and nothing compared to what I mean that Tavon Austin game against Oklahoma, even though we lost, is one of the greatest. That's one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in a college football game. Doesn't even matter if it was West Virginia or someone else. So, you know, it was. You know, it was unbelievable. The the Rondell Moore game against Ohio State kind of reminded me of that a, a few years later, and so it was just it was. It was incredible to watch so much athleticism, and we've been waiting. We've all been waiting for that next guy to possibly be, be you know, to, to fill that role, and it's it's been a while. I'll give two answers here. Um, the first is Owen Schmidt, <laughs> and I think it will always be Owen Schmidt for the Rich Ride era. I think, you know, you had Pat White and Noel Devine and Steve Slayton um, 
flying around and doing ridiculous things. And there was Owen Schmidt, who was just a fullback who beat his head into his helmet on the sideline. And it was just very West Virginia. And I think, (laughs) (laughs) oh, even when we have this, you know, offense that was dropping 45 points a game on everybody in their path in the Big East, like really they played a different sport than the mid 2000s Big East. There was still this just like giant fullback that they found at like a D2 school in Wisconsin and got to transfer to West Virginia. So he's there. And then it has to be Tavon Austin as the representative of the Hogo years and somebody who still, and this is horrifying to say 11 years later mm-hmm. <laughs> since he's played at West Virginia is still cited in recruit interviews when they get their offers from West Virginia. I was like, oh yeah, I grew up. I watched the Tavon YouTube highlight video every game. Before I played in high school, I watched the Tavon Austin highlight video. And those are the players that West Virginia has always had. You know, they've had they've had a dude mm-hmm. in like every major generation that you can think of. They had Steve Slayton, they had Noel Devine. They had Tavon Austin. They have David Sills. They like they have a dude that you remember, and they've been completely like dude devoid, like devoid of dudes for the last <laughs> like five to six years, and they've just not been fun. And they've lost that aspect of what made West Virginia enjoyable. I will say, Garrett Green is getting into the dude scale a little bit in terms of enjoyability Mm -hmm. in an entirely different way than I think anybody watching West Virginia has ever experienced because he's just Airbud playing quarterback. (laughs) So I have, there are hopes there of becoming fun and, you know, maybe they get there. I, I don't, I still lack a lot of faith in Neil Brown to do that, but it would be nice to be fun again. I don't have grandiose expectations. I want a team that entertains me for three to four hours every Saturday and makes me think that there is something to look forward to (laughs) at the end of the season and not just being, you know, dead in the water by, you know, this time every year. What is your favorite thing to eat in Morgantown if West Virginia wins? Well, it's a pepperoni roll wherever because that is the state food of <laughs> of West Virginia. But um, there, uh, I would say, you know, after after a win, uh, I mean, Mario's Mario's Fish Bowl is one of the epic places uh, that that people love to go to. You can just drink yourself silly there, and and it's it's a wonderful time. Um, but I mean, a lot of times we would just hit the streets. We wouldn't eat. <laughs> <laughs> this is very, you know, dating me going back to college because I actually I do not make my way down for games as often as I'd like anymore. But a big win followed by a night out in Morgantown that would end with a place called, which I think is a chain, but I think it's like a college town chain called Deepido that serves like calzones that are like this. Big. That are like building material, basically. 
Yes. Yes. So enjoying yourself all day, watching a nice win, going out, and then ending your night at 3 a.m. eating like a calzone that is the size of my head is some of my favorite college memories. There's a nacho thing at a taco place next to a bad Applebee's on University Drive. And I, I usually default to that because the traffic around the Tudor's Biscuit World is just too hard to get to and sure. Tudor's isn't going to be open. So it's usually the bad the bad taco thing. I, it, I So I haven't, you're the first, you're the only person I've asked about this, but it is important to get out there. Tudor's is a thing that I think people outside of West Virginia have heard of in some regard. Mm -hmm. Like, how should people best prepare for a Tudor's experience? Because I think it's, having been once, I feel like it's not something you can just sort of amble into and just be like, let's see what this is all about. So you need to understand two things. One, Tudor's is a Perkins kind of with a drive-through window. Okay. okay. And that drive-through window is a key part of this experience because if you have never been to a Tudor's Biscuit World, you should not go through the drive-through. <laughs> because you're not, you're not prepared to participate no, in that way. You you will be, you will be faced with with an array of choices in a language you cannot comprehend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And asked to make a decision in an amount of time that is impossible. Right. Um that the person behind you may choose to throw you into a lake <laughs> if you don't make it in time. Okay. So go inside. Okay. That's the best advice I can give you. And also understand it, it, it closes at like two. Don't, don't go for dinner. Okay. Okay. How does that answer change if the Mountaineers lose? What's, what's the go-to thing? It is thing probably still the cow's on the side. <laughs> sure. It just, it, it fills a different emotional hole at that point. Yes. Let's put it this way. When we lost to Miami, when there was a play where Quincy Wilson murdered um, uh, Mer uh, Mayweather, Merriweather, sorry, from, from Miami yep. going into uh, for a touchdown. It was unbelievable. And then Kellen Winslow made a ridiculous catch on fourth down. They end up kicking a field goal. Uh, that night was just absolute misery. I went and bought a frozen pizza and a six pack and cried basically <laughs> in my house. <laughs> Okay. So I just went went to the local Dairy Mart and uh, you know found some good stuff. But uh, yeah, it was it's it's tough. But yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's pretty much probably where I'd go if you lose. But uh, there's also uh, one of the epic places, of course, is is the Met, which is downtown, which is a great pool hall. And after a win, it's a great place to go play a little pool, drink some beer, and watch all the TVs up and watch the rest of the uh, of football. And it's been, it's a classic old place. It's in the, it's in the basement of a, of a old cinema, which is super cool. So nice. that was one of my favorite places in Morgantown too. But Morgantown is a special place. It's also completely different from when I was there. I mean, the, the build, the buildup is unbelievable. And I'm sure a lot of people can say that about wherever campus they went to school. Cause things certainly changed quickly, but uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. I probably just go to the bad Applebee's and get, <laughs> The thing with the highest sodium uh, thing that I can find. Okay, I think that's a fair answer. All right, <laughs> I compiled a list of you, a list for you, just so that you have this. Yeah. this is every team I have seen West Virginia lose to. Oh my god! In a row. Please game. go ahead. Go. These ahead. are places I have gone. You, you affirmatively, you affirmatively spent time and effort and money to go to go to all yeah. of these places. Right. These me. are either either bowl games or road games. Yeah, some of these several times. 
Pitt, Penn State, Virginia Tech, Boston College, Maryland, Rutgers, Cincinnati, East Carolina, and Colorado on back-to-back weeks, if I'm if I'm recalling correctly. Virginia, South Florida, Florida State, North Carolina State, Syracuse, Notre Dame, LSU, Auburn, and Georgia Tech. Which one of those did you regret the most at the end of it, if it's possible to even pick one out? Uh, East Carolina. Okay. <laughs> Which is really saying something when Rutgers is on this list. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't going to bring that part up, but yeah. And I and I was at the Syracuse Pinstripe Bowl in the rain. Okay. Like, there are some bad ones on this list. You have seen some stuff. Mm-hmm. You have seen some stuff. Yeah, I've, I've looked into the void. Well, Starber, we did it. We have talked to all of the football teams that are there. All of them we hit. Congratulations to us. That'll do it. It's been a, it's been a great run, you know. <laughs> Um, I'll really miss this, but you know, we, we, we knocked it out. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Oh wait, I'm, I'm getting, ah, shit. I didn't scroll down. It turns out there are like a lot more college football teams and there are college basketball teams and like who, uh, I've heard rumors that Ohio has some football (laughs) nonsense. There's, there's a little bit of football in Texas. Not much. That's right. Talked, I know we talked to TCU, but it turns out they're not the only team in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, oh, that's I right. Mean, There's SMU. That's right. That's the other one. And Rice, we can't we can't leave Rice out. Um, so I think we're probably going to have to do more of this show, but we should take a little break first, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, legally, I'm obligated to have a break. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we should. Let's make That's it seem right. organic. If if you're wondering, I have made Cerber stay at a computer for three straight months making this show, and only now does he get to go to the bathroom. That's what kind of monster I am as a partner. Oh, I've been going. <laughs> All right. So what do you say we aim for January to do season two of the show? That's not, does that work for you? Do you need to check your calendar? 2024 yeah okay yeah that'll do because clemson won't be in the college football playoffs you, i know you won't be busy there and florida won't be either so you don't know that you don't know either of those things okay, are true. all right all right if i have if i have somehow just jinxed florida and clemson into making the playoff i owe you dinner all right okay okay Th- that's fair thank you i try to be fair in my business dealings okay. other than the fact that i've changed you to a desk for three months um so that does it for season one. Thank you to Beth, Chris, and Matt for joining us on the West Virginia episode. Serbert, you did such a great job this season, bud. This was a an idea I had in my head, and I was like, I think this could be really cool, but I don't know how to make it. And you you have like knocked it out of the park. You've crushed it, and I really appreciate all the hard work you've done making this sound great and be something that a lot of people have really enjoyed. Well, thank you. Uh, from the, to, to to sing your praises as well. From the minute you kind of mentioned the idea to me, I thought it sounded really cool, really unique, really awesome, and I I've been excited uh, from day one to work on it, and I look forward to doing a bunch, bunch more of them because there are all jokes aside, there are um, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of college football teams, maybe even millions. Um, <laughs> so we could be here for a very long time. We could do this for the rest of our natural lives. That's yep. exciting. And then we'll have our, our AI personalities take over for us and do it. For yeah, for sure. 
So that'll yeah, work. Then the show will get really good. Then it'll be awesome. All right. Well, that's going to do it for season one. If you have listened to this season from the beginning, thank you very much. If you're just jumping on at the end, hey, guess what? You can go listen to the other 11 episodes. We built them all so that you can pretty much listen to them whenever you want. Uh, and they're not especially stale or out of date. Um, thank you very much to all of you who have supported this little show from the beginning. Um in the meantime, while we're taking a little break, tell a friend about it. Leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, whatever you use. That always helps. Uh, throw us a message on social media. And yeah, we will be back before you know it at the start of the year with new episodes, new fan bases that we're going to talk to, and hopefully some new weird tales of what it is like to be a fan of insert team here because we haven't picked him yet you know that 